Welcome to the Future Church Podcast with Anthony Delaney. If this podcast helps you, forward it to others, give us a review and subscribe today. For additional thoughts and resources, visit anthonydelaney.com. Welcome everybody to Future Church Podcast with me, Anthony Delaney. I'm delighted today to have as my guest, Steve Upple. We're going to be hearing from Steve very soon. Uh, He leads the All Nations family of churches uh, from Wolverhampton, uh, together with his wife, Esther. And uh, we just had a chat beforehand, and he was telling me how excited he is that he's just become a granddad for the first time, which is fantastic. Um, We've got so much uh, to learn from Steve that we're not just going to be learning from him now on this podcast. I'm sure this is going to whet your appetite for Steve joining us as one of the keynote speakers this year at launch uh, up in Wigan in Manchester here in October. So if you go to launchcatalyst.org, you'll find uh, the very best deals that are available now for you and your team to come and join us at launch. As we explore there, what does it mean coming out of uh, a pandemic, coming out of the covid How do we not just change because that happened and we all had to change when suddenly we couldn't meet anywhere, but how does God want us to be transformed because of the new thing that he's doing in the nations of the world right now? And uh, we don't believe that COVID uh, took God by surprise, not saying he caused it, but we do believe that he's sovereign and that um, there's things that were only made possible um, that maybe some of us have been saying for years we should be trying here in these in the churches in the West, learning from churches around the world um, where the norm of church is very different to us. And for us to be able to put some of those things in place, in some ways we had to just to get through COVID. But now the question of future churches, what do we need to keep from those times that was the treasure we learned in those uh, in those dark places those hard times what do we need to not go back to and what do we need to make sure that we continue in and i know here at ivy um we've changed so many things in terms of the way in which we are church right now and one of the kind of uh, heroes for me that i've been able to point to as somebody else who's been having a go at and not just um, changing, but being transformed and transformative in terms of church is Steve Upple. I'll uh, get him to say more about himself in just a few moments, but I know I love the story that uh, uh, Steve's parents were Sikhs. And in 1974, when he was five weeks old, an American missionary who'd moved to the UK with her husband knocked on the family door. And within about an hour and a half, both parents had given their life to Christ this changed the trajectory of the whole family. And um, and over the years, uh, this, filled with the spirit uh, at the age of eight, by 13, he'd seen many of his friends come into Christ, started an evangelistic ministry at 13 called Christian Warriors, doing drama and, drama and mime and songs, testimonies and preaching, traveling around the UK. Then that ran until Steve was 27 years old. And he worked uh, part-time for Christ for All Nations for 18 months, went to Africa, where he had his mind blown, met Reinhard Bonnke, all massive experiences, which any of these, we'd love to be able to speak about any of these during our time together. And it was at twenty, the age of 27 in 2001, Steve became the senior pastor of All Nations, where he'd been uh, for a, about a decade, starting as the youth pastor. And church was around 70 to 80 people then. It's been quite a journey of learning and growing over the years. 
leadership lessons learned through painful trials, often of one sort or another, as we often have to learn. But by uh, two, by 2016, they'd completed this amazing new building, 800 seats, retained existing buildings on a huge learning curve coming up to COVID. Uh, before that, they were just started in the multi-site model of church. But now COVID has been this time, as it has for all of us, of massive unlearning and relearning and dismantling of the old and moving into the new things that God has has got going. But uh, as I say, it's a great joy for me to welcome uh, to uh, the Future Church podcast our guest today, Steve Uppel, uh, the the leader of the, the All Nations Family of Churches and the All Nations Movement here and in India. So... Welcome, Steve. Hi, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's a delight to be with you today. Fantastic. Well, we're so grateful for, to you and for uh, the time that you're taking to be able to spend with us. Just really keen to uh, you know, learn f- from you. I know that you're married to Esther. You've got four kids, as we said. Uh, the oldest one's married. And, and, um, and as I say, congratulations on becoming a granddad last week. That's fantastic. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it feels weird, but um, we're delighted. Yeah, they're amazing. I, look, I would say we've got, we have six and uh, they're all brilliant. So it's such a blessing from the Lord. And um, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of what we're doing, you, you, as you, I'm older than you, but you realise you have to start thinking generationally and not just about, um, you know, never just thinking about the people in front of us, but the generations to come. So that being the case, and after my introduction and various things that we've got to talk about, you know, I just want to um, be able to hear, you know, hear your heart. I want to start off by saying I know that during um, COVID you made some big changes at, um, at at All Nations from what was and from even that multi-site model, which had already been uh, successful in terms of the way lots of people would measure success. I mean, I met you at one or two of these gatherings that you only get invited to if you're leading a big church. And I'm not sure now I get invited to those same meetings because we haven't got a big church anymore. We've got we've got multiple expressions of church meeting in different ways. Um, but I know that you decided to make some changes um, and not just to have change happen to you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that story uh, of, of, you know, what happened either pre-COVID and through COVID and subsequently in terms of how how uh, transformation has come to you and all nations. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll just jump into the very first lockdown. We're about 10 days in. I think like everybody, we were scrambling to start with in terms of how do we adapt, what do we do. Um, Behind the scenes, our teams had already been working on going live with an online service. So pretty much within a few days, we had that working and, you know, we were pleased with ourselves that we managed to move things online. Um, There was lots of conversations around how we care for people. We were running 24-7 prayer hub in the building how do we move that out of the building and into homes so that everybody is mobilizing the homes? How do we communicate with them? So I guess the first 10 days, two weeks were, were a real, uh, very pragmatic, uh, rushing around, dealing with what we thought needed to be dealt with. And then uh, it's April 2020. I'm sitting down one uh, evening um, just about to watch the prime minister's speech and the NHS 
chief medical surgeon at the time. And as I'm about to sit down, I clearly heard the Lord saying to me, you should be listening to me, not to your prime minister. And that's not a comment against the prime minister. It was just a sense of, hey, you're really paying attention to everything else happening around you. You've got a pragmatic response of what needs to change. But this is a key moment for you to be listening to me. And over the next few weeks and months, and in fact, those first three or four months were, um, I don't think we, maybe six months, we never had the Lord speak so much, so frequently and so clearly in our entire lives. So we're, we're, my background is Pentecostal, we're spirit-filled, we're into, like, we believe God gives dreams and prophecies, and we're running 24-7 prayer pre this moment. So we, we believe God speaks, and, you know, we keep a record of that. And yet uh, April to whatever, the last two years, have just been the most significant times of the Lord speaking. And one of the first things that, that comment about I should be listening to him was that the church, and I'll, I'll just personalize it, but I actually think he was speaking church big C in the UK. But I'll say he said it to me for us, so I don't put anybody else in the same category. Uh, that the church is not fit for purpose. You are not making disciples. You're mostly focused around a personality, driven by a personality, centered around a Sunday. You are producing consumers because you're more concerned about keeping those people. And is the parking just right? The sermon can't be too long, but it can't be too short. It has to have a bit of humor, whatever it might be that we think it needs to have. Enough biblical context and theology, Children's work should be just right, so they want to come back. Easy to find parking. We're in the city centre. And I realised that what the Lord was saying was absolutely true. Most of our church family, their way of defining their Christianity was around what happened on a Sunday. Gearing up for that day, most of our energy was around what happened on a Sunday. I hate to admit it, and I hated admitting it then. And even though we preached the Great Commission, we spoke about discipleship, all of our structures were really geared to produce consumers. I hope they enjoy it when they come, they'll like what we do, and that they will come back again. And hopefully we offer something a little bit better than everybody else. That sounds really selfish, really competitive, but I think underlying, that was the kind of frame of reference that we had. And so that was a real wake-up call uh, to us as a, to us a, as a leadership team. We took this journey together. It wasn't just me on my own. And uh, in, in Zoom prayer gatherings, conversations with people on Zoom, that uh, 2020, we really felt the challenge of, are we making disciples? So our response to change was less based on COVID and what it was doing. It was more of a, we were stopping long enough from our busy schedules to, to listen to what the Lord was saying. So I think two key things happened. We increased our prayer life. So Esther and I started to pray a couple of hours together every day early morning. We thought it's COVID. We've got time. We can do that. Obviously, it's not going to be sustainable post-COVID, which we found it is. it would be unsustainable to do what we're doing without that prayer life. So we're still doing it today. But in those prayer times is when the Lord started to speak. And then I would have two hours every Wednesday with uh, our senior team. This, this would be the team that's helped overseeing the movement. And most of those two hours every Wednesday were around prayer and listening. And we suddenly, in that place of prayer, in that place of listening, it was where God started to speak. 
And so I guess if anybody was kind of listening and thinking, what's a starting point? The starting point wasn't changing our model. The starting point was talking to God and listening to what he had to say. Those two things were really critical in our journey and still are today. Uh, feel free to jump in at any point, but I'll just, I'll carry on unless you do. Um, I think what we soon realized was our structures needed to change if we wanted to focus on obeying the Great Commission. And very early on, somebody said something to me. They said, hey, you guys, it's actually probably a year later, but it, it resonated. And it was like, you guys in the West, and this is, I think, an Indian church planter saying, you Western Christian leaders or Western Christians spend most of your time defining your Christianity based on knowledge acquisition. And he said, we in the East, we define our Christianity or our discipleship by obedience. And that became really revolutionary to us because really what I wanted to do was really help people to learn, you know, teach them good theology, make sure that they understood the cross, the blood, um, you know, who they are in Christ now and make sure they live a morally good life because of it. And disciple making was something we'd love. We'd love people to lead other people to Christ and be mature enough to help them mature. But that wasn't really part of our programming. It didn't show up in the way we were doing what we were doing. Um, and, and I realized that the acquiring of knowledge was a higher value to us than was obeying the knowledge that we were acquiring. So that's been a shift in our thinking. If I am really going to believe what Jesus said and do it, make disciples, what's that going to look like? So for us, that's messed our program up. Um, in terms of the, the big focus is no longer just the Sunday. I won't give it all away right now. You can ask some questions in a moment, but um, we've actually, we don't currently meet on every single Sunday in the large building we built. We do have some Sundays in the building. And then our second question was, how do we mobilize all of the body? And I realized we had a theology of the priesthood of all believers. So yes, we believe in it, but in practice, Everybody still came to church for me to do what I do or a small team of us to do everything for them that we could do, whether it's pastoral care, whether it's solving a problem, whether it's, you know, a, a good sermon or good worship. And they would come in for that experience from a few, even though theologically we would all be in agreement, knowledge acquisition. We are all priests unto God ourselves. We can go straight to him. I can hear from him. I can tell other people about him. I can represent him to the world. Theologically, we all believed it, but in practice, maybe 90% or less uh, did anything about that. That might sound a bit harsh, but I think that's probably a reality. So the question for us, that's impacted staff team um, and that's impacted program. And both of those have involved just huge amounts of conversation, lots of prayer. Um, I would say massive pain. The last two years have been easily the most challenging and painful of my entire life and I've walked through some difficult situations having been in the same church for 30 years seeing it grow from about 70 80 people to seven or eight campuses multi-site you don't we don't and nobody gets to serve the Lord for 30 years without something so um, and yet the last two years has easily been uh, the most challenging just I felt vulnerable I would say I, I've said this so often, when you get into your late 40s, like I am, 48 years old, you normally think, I found my lane, I do what I do well, I'll just get better at doing what I do, we'll plant some more campuses, we'll help other people to do this, and basically the next 10, 15 years is written out, I can just keep doing what I'm doing. Innovate a little bit where you need to, but 
I'm like 48, so hey, just stay in your lane. And yet what we found the Lord is saying is, are you willing to pioneer again? Are you willing to leave the safe place, what you're good at, what you know how to, you know how to do these things, and will you embrace a pioneer spirit again? And I did pioneer early on, uh, lived by faith in that when we first got married, no salary for the first 10 years, no income coming in, just trusted the Lord, we bought a house on that, had kids on that. And yet pioneering into my 40s, I'm like, I didn't like not as much of a pioneer as I thought I still was. I'd become comfortable and uh, I, I guess just easy uh, when you, when everything's set and you've, you've, you've already taken the hills, you've already taken the mountains, you've established who you are amongst your community. And now all of a sudden, all of it begins to shift and change. So uh, two phrases, and then please do jump in, um, that the Lord gave us repeatedly in 2020. Um, you've got to fight the uh, comfort of the familiar uh, and then secondly, you've got to resist the pull of the pragmatic. And I didn't know fully what that meant until maybe this year, because the desire to want to go back to what I know has been so strong at times. You know, when, when you've had your fourth or fifth conversation with the family who are leaving because they don't get what you're doing, you're like, man, can't we just do what we've done before? I know how to do that. I can I enjoy preaching. We can just just run the show like we do, and that desire to go back to the familiar or the pragmatic voices that say, "Hey, you're a pastor. You have a responsibility. People are watching you. You have to do what you used to do." And because the Lord spoke so clearly, don't make pragmatic decisions or comfortable decisions. Be a pioneer. That really helped us to hold steady during. Um, what would otherwise maybe I would have done something I shouldn't have and just gone back to uh, doing the familiar and the pragmatic. They're, they're both pressures that come in and I've had to resist those pressures. So good. I want to thank you for pioneering in those ways because it's helped other people like myself who've been similarly transitioning church when we've had those sort of same conversations with people when they're saying, look, nobody else is doing this kind of thing. We've done similar at Ivy and it's been good for me to be able to say hey there's a crazy guy down in Wolverhampton called Steve and he's doing it too <laughs> yeah. so thank you for uh you know taking the hits on some of that thank you for um you know it, I realize it is a painful process but in many ways we can have the pain of growth or we can have the pain of uh stagnation and going backwards and I know which one I'd always want to have um, and I think in many ways, what you've described for me reminds me of the Stephen Covey seven habits of highly effective people thing of when a manager thinks, let's hack at the trees in front of us, gets all the working party hacking away at the trees and make sure everybody's got the singing the team song. They've got the bottle of water to be able to keep on going. And that's what generally we can end up doing is just looking after the team and keeping everybody going forwards in some way and feel like forward is must be progress. Whereas, in fact, a leader's job is to climb a tree and say, wrong jungle. And I think through this, the Lord has been speaking to you and to others and saying, the, the you know, many of the things that we would call success were not the success as he's defined it. And I'm interested really to dig into what you're talking about you know, if we're saying that the previous model, and I think I'd agree, there's, there's good stuff from it. You know, we want yeah. good worship, good teaching, gathering people for fellowship. All those things are important. 
but they can be ineffective. There's something missing from them with regard to discipleship. And uh, we've found that in, 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 a, in gatherings, small, medium or large, in various ways. There, there's a missing element in terms of purposeful making, having like environments for disciple making, then they go on and help make disciples. What have you learned you know, positively about how to do that now that's, that's different, that what you're doing differently that is about making disciples? I think uh, just, I don't know, this is both a negative, but then I'll turn to some positive. I think my first um, uh, response to that would be watching how those who've been going to church most of their lives, let's say five years, 10 years, 20 years, have been raised in church. They theologically would agree um, we should be making disciples. Nobody can argue with that. But then when we speak about the lifestyle of a disciple who will open up their lives, take responsibility in their own hearts, minds, prayer lives for their neighbours, they know it's right and it's good. And they don't mind a, you know, a yearly sermon on the Great Commission, let's reach our neighbours or whatever it might be, bring them to church. And, and whether they do anything about it is another matter. But when, when we say, hey, this is going to be 24-7, the way that every disciple is called to live, you hit a massive wall where... They can't argue with what you're saying, but they do not want to leave what they've had. It's too uncomfortable. It's too costly. Why would I want to open up my life? So things that we've been saying, hey, why not prayer walk your own neighborhood 30 minutes a week or an hour a week? And there's a lot of people doing that, and that's been positive, but there's been just as many who are saying, I don't really have time for that. There's a lot of other things. And what I'm realizing is for most Western Christians, and I'm generalizing, might make some people mad, but their Christianity fits into a nice middle-class life. It's like, I, I, I'm in this club, I do this, I have these hobbies, I like these shows, and then on a Sunday I go to church. And so when you or I start now preaching the New Testament as though it were true and obedience really mattered, there's a lot of people saying, and, and I do think these people are on their way to heaven, they genuinely do have a love for the Lord, um, but they're not willing to go all out to obey what he's asking us to do. I was speaking at a conference on Friday this last week, and the other guest speaker, you may have heard of him, Harry Brown, Harry and Audrey Brown, uh, New Generations. He used a great um, uh, illustration. He said, for most Western Christians, they're like seedless grapes. He said, they've, uh, they're, they're definitely fruit, and they belong to the kingdom, but they've been born in the gospel of salvation, not the gospel of the kingdom. So you come in to get saved. You don't suddenly come into a kingdom with a king, with radical obedience, and you're now going to do what he's telling you to do, which is you've got the seed in you to lead others to Christ. Mm -hmm. so, so I'm starting with a negative saying there's a lot of people that have not responded to that, find that massively difficult to handle. And I would say for anybody listening who's a church leader wanting to go on this journey, understanding that is really helpful. I, I was very optimistic two years ago. Hey, I've been here 30 years. Everybody knows me. We've walked through lots of challenges. We've built this big building. We've done fundraisers. We've brought lots of changes. So when I share with them what God's been saying, they're all going to say, yep, we're with you. Let's go. And it didn't work. So uh, what I realized is that the cultural ingrained way of thinking over decades of how we've done church is much harder to shift than perhaps I appreciated early on. But then I'd secondly, say, on a, 
All I'd say on that is I don't think it's even decades. I think as you're describing it, we're talking here about a something that's been in place for, for 2,000 years. Effectively, it's the clash between, uh, as, it's, as it's been described, the, the Hebraic mindset and the Grecian. Uh, and, the, you know, as you mentioned, I think you referenced this a little bit beforehand, but whereby people have thought and in the West, you know, we have this idea that comes from the academy that if people are taught, they're growing as disciples because they've heard some information and they've not disagreed with it. Um, so, you know, maybe they've filled, they've underlined it in their Bible and, uh, you know, they, they, et cetera, and they've filled up notebooks galore. And, and we have that intellectual, um, you know, tick all the boxes. And that's really the church in the West has been built very much on that mindset. Whereas the Hebraic mindset would be, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do as yeah. I say? And that that's like a why would you think that's okay? Because you, you you know you're a hearer but not a doer, and I think we've ended up with an awful lot of we've filled churches with hearers, uh, or, although that strangely enough ends up starting to decline. Yeah. But but the Lord wants doers, and I think that's what the discipleship difference is: the doing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess the positive we're seeing um, that I, I don't know in business models that talk about early adopters. There are those who are like, yeah, this is fantastic. We're in. We've seen a number of people, you know, going out on the streets, prayer walking. I think we've now, in the last kind of seven, eight months, planted about 25 smaller churches. So that's exciting for us, just the beginnings. And then in the last three or four weeks, we got families. Well, in the last 18 months, there's been one or two families joined us because of what we've been through. We've got a family moving in from London, another family moving in from another country, another family from Dorset in Poole. And they're doing it because they are absolutely sold out for the direction that we're taking. Feel like this is what they've been on a journey themselves and think it's worth relocating because they want to be at the heart of somewhere that is giving themselves to fulfill the Great Commission. So uh, even Saturday night, there was another family that we're in. We did an encounter night, prayer night, and somebody walks up and just says, hey, we, we've just joined you. We love the vision around disciple making and church planting. Turned out they've been solid Christians in another church in another city for 18 years. So they're not flybys kind of just, but they've had a chat with their pastors. Want to be So those, I would call them early signs of fruit, have been really encouraging for me. Both the planting of smaller communities and then watching these people coming in and saying, we're in, and we really want to be a part of what the Lord's doing here. Mm. And something that God had said, like much of what I say, and I, 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 I normally criticize people for saying God said, God said, God said, but something that the Lord said to us two years ago at the start of the journey, it's going to take you two years to turn the ship around, and it's going to be very painful, and then it'll take you a further three years to really get established in the new patterns and rhythms that you'll have. I feel like we're coming to the end of that two years of very difficult, painful journey, and we're starting to move in towards the kind of establishing, and we're giving ourselves three years of saying, well, let's really give ourselves to learn and to grow. Um, and it's probably worth saying here, uh, Anthony, that I think um, I've done a number of conversations for denominations and streams in the last one year, maybe 12 to 15 different streams, uh, I've got in touch and said, hey, would you meet with our leaders and have a conversation, preach what you're going to... So I've done that. And I don't think most of them want change. So they'll listen to what's happening. And even as I'm speaking, I can the Lord send up 
reputational risk, financial risk to do what you're saying, but they've been interested. One of the things I observed is most of them are interested in a model. They want to know what you did before, what does the new look like, how will you raise your leaders, how often will you meet here like this, and how often will you meet there like that. And I think it's a Western mindset that says, tell me how you do it. I can pull out that, tweak it for what I want, or make it work for my personality, Mm. uh, maybe better it by 10%, and then I'll implement it. And I found myself saying to people when they're asking me questions around model, I'm not afraid to talk about it because there definitely is an emerging model for us. But I would say the bigger shift is not a model change. It's a, it's a, a, a DNA change in our spiritual uh, DNA. So what we were before and what we're becoming is very different internally as individuals and as a community, as a leadership team, how we pray, how we listen, how we treat the word of God. All of that, there's been a major shift, not just a renewing of the mind. It is a renewing of the mind. It is a changing culture, but it's a massive spiritual reforming that I think will then lead to a reformation in the church that I think I've been saying is probably going to be greater than the Reformation 500 years ago. This could be the most staggering thing that happens to the church um, in the last 2000 years. And I, I also have a firm conviction that uh, people like yourself, uh, us, our early adopters, we're kind of paying attention to what the Lord's saying. Um, and, and not only what the Lord's saying, but watching culture change. Um, we have a firm conviction for revival, that it will result in harvest. So, yes, what the Lord is saying, are we obeying the Great Commission, but also the hostility and accusation, the shakings, birth pains, Matthew 24, they're going to increase and then the revival that we're believing for will result in harvest. So those become a backdrop to do we have a way of doing church that is going to be like your podcast, future proof to be able to handle persecution, hostility, more shaking. Do we have a frame of reference for revival at a Wesleyan type level in terms of five, six decades of harvest coming in at an unprecedented rate? Uh, and what would that mean for an older wineskin church? It'll, it'll need a bigger building, a bigger structure, a bigger budget, more staff. Um, and, and so with revival, with hostility, with harvest, we believe that the Lord is changing the wineskin, ready for what's already begun, but it's going to become in the, in the culture around us, in the spiritual temperature, in the harvest coming, and there's a major shift happening. And I think the way we were doing church, even though we were would, would have been thought of as successful by some, it definitely was not future-proof. It, it wouldn't withstand increased persecution and hostility mm. or, or even a 1,000 people getting saved in a week. Um, we couldn't handle that. It would put too much pressure on structures. And I've been saying for about eight years, Revival's coming, harvest will result. If we do not change our structures, the very thing that we think is glorious will end up crushing what we have built in the past. So I think that maybe gives some context. It's not just about having a new model. It's about spiritual reforming the DNA. And that's painful, you know, DNA restructuring. I don't even know if it's possible to do in in humans, but in terms of spiritually, I think it's possible by the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I just say to any listener, uh, particularly any leader listening, 
around that if you're kind of thinking well i get that i agree with that you know god's been putting material across your path you've been reading the books you've been you know maybe even years ago even from neil cole organic church these things you've been you know wondering if this is it and and you're still thinking but is there a way that we can do this that's pain free where everybody's going to like it and we're still going to you know We'll we'll keep everybody, and you know, uh, nobody is going to say we're not loving, um, and all of those kind of things. I'm sorry, I think my experience, and I think Steve would agree, is it. You know, you don't get birth without pain, and God is, I believe, birth in something new, and uh, you know, ultimately, it's worth it. Launch is back in person this year, just outside of Manchester taking place on the 3rd and 4th of October. We're really excited to welcome you back for what is sure to be a brilliant two days looking at how the post-pandemic church can be rebuilt, revived and reproduced. As a Future Church podcast listener, you can get an additional 10% off your ticket when you use the promo code FUTUREChurch, all one word. Visit launchcatalyst.org today and use promo code FUTUREChurch at checkout to get your discount. I love what you're saying about, well, a couple of things we could go back to. I love the seedless grapes thing. Please bring that at launch because this year we're talking about replant. We've got an awful lot of kind of uh, pictures about, um, you know, seed time and harvest and plants that are growing. That's a big part of our of our theme for this year. And uh, I think that's such a, a key one. Um, in terms of what you know, you know, Jesus said we're going to bear much fruit, but you can't do that uh, in a, with a seedless uh, grape. <laughs> so, um, but also, I know you're saying about not models specifically. So, don't tell us about things necessarily that you do. But what kind of things do you think perhaps we should, in order to not just have seedless grapes in the future? What kind of things do you think we could stop doing? What are the things you could say to somebody? you know, maybe, uh, or, or for them to consider um, perhaps stopping doing, um, uh, uh, you know, maybe it was something that they stopped during COVID and now they're like, mm, I'm not even sure I should go back to it. What could stay stopped? What are the sort of things that ultimately other things you've seen that you just sort of thought, why do we even do that? Yeah, very good. Uh, I think um, I, I, the emphasis, it, for me, it's not even, like, say, Sunday mornings, we still do at the moment two Sunday mornings a month in the building. We do the first Sunday and the third Sunday, and then the last Saturday night of every month we're doing an encounter night. And at first, we were going to scrap all Sundays, and then we realized um, the change was way too drastic. And people like Chris Galanos have done that uh, in uh, Texas, and we hadn't heard of him at that point, but we were about to scrap everything and just go all in. And I felt the Lord say, no, there's people here that will journey with you if you take them on the journey. But what we had to do in answering your question was reconsider why we're doing a Sunday, what the purpose of it is. Is it to impress the people coming? Is it to put on a better show than the church down the road? So we do it a bit slicker, a bit better worship. You know, this is our style and this is what we do. So, so I guess it's more of a question of why rather than we just stop that. Now, when we looked at the why, we felt like we had to change some of the frequency to place emphasis on the things that we were saying were important. So I think there's a massive challenge here of maybe some people would embrace every 
you've just said, they've read the books, they've done the stuff and they know, but then they want to keep doing what they've done and their commitment to methodology and practice is different to what they're speaking or reading. Somewhere along the way, we've got to ask ourselves, if I if I'm giving an agreement to those books and what the Lord is saying and what I'm hearing on this podcast, it must shape our practices. For us, that meant our emphasis on a Sunday backed off. We stopped putting so much pressure on the staff to pull off a particular type of Sunday. We changed the format of them and we decreased the frequency. Now, I I said it in a sentence and it sounds like it's easy, but actually it's massively painful. There's loads of questions around it. There's lots of conversations. Why? How? Um, You know, sometimes breaking into small groups on a Sunday morning. We never did that before. Uh, we went through a whole season of setting chairs out very differently to the way we've done that before. So they're, they're not all just in rows facing the front, but in little arcs or cur- curves so that it's easy to break in uh, into groups and break bread in those small groups of five or four. Uh, or we could break them into groups to pray together at the end of what they've just heard, maybe open up the scriptures. But as far as I know, nobody uh, my whole life growing up does that. You just walk in. You look at the front, you do everything they tell you to do, then you walk back out at the end. So when somebody says, hey, we're about to break bread right now, we'd rather you do that in in the groups where you are, and we're going to give you five or six or seven or eight minutes, ten minutes to do that, and then we'll come back together. In a larger auditorium setting, that's, that's not normally been done, but it's been really good for us to get people talking to each other who maybe haven't, especially in a you know, an auditorium style, I think it can be in any size church, but it's so easy to walk in and be anonymous. Part of disciple making is I have to engage with other people. Um, And then very often at the end of us, we put people into groups to pray. Go for it, Anthony. I was just going to say, we've had some people, because we've done that, we've done it a little bit before, but we've done it more intentionally. Now, every week, we always have questions after the talk. And actually, most of our talks are done on video anyway, um, rather than in person all the time. But afterwards, we have a list of questions for people to sit and break up into fives and sixties. But I've had some people, but interestingly, it's only been people who were established church members. And some people have actually voiced it. One guy came and basically said, I don't come to church to talk to people. I come to church to talk to God. (laughs) And And, and my response would be, and God lives in the other people, and we actually don't really get to talk to God and listen to God unless we're building relationship with his body. Yeah, definitely. So it was like it was it was messing with his his theology in some ways, actually, as well, of what church was about, because like you said, his thing was we come in, we go out, maybe on the door on the way in, somebody will high five me and then I can go in and go up. Nobody's going to talk to me about what I think about this stuff and what I'm going to do about it. All I've got to do is sit through it. And And I would say this is where the whole corporate training, so most leadership conferences I've been to in the last 20 years, Um, most of the principles being taught have been learned from the business world and then translated into the church. And one of the things in the last two years I've really had the Lord rebuke me over is the idolatry of leadership and strategy and reminding me, Steve, you're not a consultant. You are not a CEO. You are a a old fashioned term. You're a man of God, a Mm -hmm. servant of the Lord. That sounds really old and religious. But it's a reminder to me, I'm not running a business. I'm not running something corporate. I'm a person that's listening to God in relationship with God, inviting others to come into that relationship. 
I heard recently that some in, in some settings in bigger megachurches, they've actually said you don't really need a pastor type person to lead this. You need a manager type person who makes sure everything runs efficiently because we've got it all cracked and we know what we're doing. We just need efficiency in the systems and processes and we can grow this thing. And I think that idolatry with the world, and I, I would go as far as to say love affair with the world, um, we, we admire quick results. We bring in those, if you look at the big conferences worldwide for leaders, global conferences, if somebody can get success quick, we'll invite them in, saved or unsaved, let's have them come and teach because as a church, we want that kind of quick success. Mm. But I would say, I do believe in the large. I do believe in thousands coming to faith. And the Lord has spoken to us that in our region, you know, to, we were maybe 1,200 pre-COVID in, that, in our central location. And now I was in so much pain May 21 saying, Lord, it feels like everything is just crumbling. And I felt a little quick into my own heart as I was praying. You will be 5,000 in about seven years. Five to seven years, you'll see about 5,000 will be across the region. Um, uh, and, and so it gave me, I'm not saying what I'm saying to say, I really believe that everything should be small. Mm. I just think, you know, the early church first day, 3,000 people, a few chapters later, 5,000 added to the church. And so yeah. I'm for the big, but there's a real thing. I don't want to borrow principles that are more humanly engineered rather than listening to the spirit and seeing what he's saying to us and how we should be doing what we're doing. So yeah. Last week, that might be controversial, but um, no, I think it's good. The last week, I was away with my wife, and um, one, one morning, I felt the Lord say to me, uh, in that kind of waking up time when He often speaks to me, but it was, um, He said to me, Don't for the sake of the hundreds, don't neglect the hundreds of thousands. And, yeah, it, and it just felt like actually, ultimately, we can be one can be trying to keep hundreds. And keep them, and you know, I mean, actually retain them. I don't even use the word keep. Retain hundreds um, and keep them happy and keep it going. But I think the Lord has way more impact once we get into multiplication thinking through us that can really see hundreds of thousands for him, even though it may mean that I don't get to stand in front of thousands and feed my ego in the way that I used to. And you probably, I think part of this as well for leaders listening is, and maybe it'll mean you don't get to speak at the conferences and all those other things that used to be part of the dream of, oh, I get to do this and I get to do that. And and yeah, we, you know, in the end, it's like, well, what, we, you know, I never expected that when I first signed up for this anyway. And that's really not the. And I think they're, they're short, short term wins. Mm. Um, but if we look with the, in the light of eternity, this has been a major theme for us in the last two years. In the light of eternity, when I stand before the Lord, uh, if he says, well, then good and faithful servant, but others misunderstood me while I lived on the earth, wow. I would rather have his well done, which really matters in the light of eternity, mm. than have the awes and the accolades of men for 30 years, um, but then uh, uh, kind of find out I disappointed him, never did what I was appointed to do, because I sold out for more of a shadow mission than the true mission that was set before me. Yeah, come on. So obviously we have in common our great friend Josh Howard in uh, India. I know you know you can tell us a little bit about what you, the kind of way in which all nations as a as a movement is is moving here in the UK and also in various places, including India. 
Um, but we've also got, uh, you know, I'm sure other mutual friends too. And so, yeah, we're not looking necessarily to, although I, I did quote Franklin Covey earlier, which I now repent of, you know, we're not necessarily looking to all the leadership books, but we, there's other, there's other places, voices, as you said before, there's, there's Eastern voices that we need. That's one of the things we've always said at launch. I, I love America. I love friends in America, but I've never wanted launch to be just a bunch of American people coming over us over here and telling us how to do it in the UK because I don't think they've got all the answers. And and so we've always had people from you know, Iran and various African nations and from India coming and speaking, et cetera, to us because we need in the Europe need all the, that global um, yeah. voices coming to help us. Um, so in what who are you at the moment kind of listening to learning from and with about what's what's now and what's next for the church can you kind of put it to people resources ideas yeah, that's yeah. helpful to I, you i think i agree with you um i think all those voices are help, uh, helpful i think i found the conversation in the disciple making the movements dmm stuff uh helpful i think there's a bunch of books there that are helpful um whether it chris galanos's book um, from mega church to multiplication, I found that really stirring. Mm. Um, spent matches. I'm in the middle of right now. I had it recommended. I didn't read it, then, but I'm reading it right now. That's helpful. Yeah, that's, that's Roy Moran. Uh, yeah. Ray Moran, yeah, yeah. In Kansas City, um, who's running a hybrid model himself there. Uh, I think miraculous movements of what's happening in North Africa. That I found uh, Jerry Trousdell really, really helpful. Like, wow, this is amazing. Um, and, and I, I would say, so there, there are the books and potential podcasts. I met a new friend on Friday who I think will become a great friend, Harry Brown, uh, who I think in their organization since 2005 till uh, end of 21 have seen 2 million people uh, commit their lives to Christ mm. through embracing a disciple-making way of living. So I found that really helpful and stimulating. But I would say two other things. Yes, the books are good. The podcasts are helpful. But the second thing, and probably more helpful to me, has been um, genuine friendships that I can walk with. So there's a group of us, and this will be my senior team, that for about 18 months we met every Wednesday for two hours, 12 till 2, um, somebody from the States, and then everybody else is in the UK. Josh Howard is now on that on a Wednesday as well from India. Those conversations around what is God saying, how are we implementing, where are we prompted, what are we stirred with, has been really helpful because they're genuine relationships on the same journey. So I find there's a mutual, I didn't I didn't see it coming, but it became a mutual peer level conversation. And we're kind of mentoring one another in a very fluid way. Mm. Uh, I kind of hold the table there. I invite people into it. And it is building the All Nations Apostolic Movement. But at the same time, it's been a real place of learning and growing together. Um, uh, so my first one, yes, the books and the podcast. Secondly, you've got to have a, a group of people to run with that will do genuine friendship with you, not a one-off conversation. I've met people like Chris Galanos or whoever it might be. I'm going to meet uh, Roy Moran in the autumn. They're great as one-off conversations mm. and they're helpful, but find a tribe to run with because that will help you in the long term when they're sustained and regular 
it just provides mutual comfort, hope, strength, faith, and a sense of we kind of help each other along. But then thirdly, I would say to people, if they really want to grow, they've got to develop a meaningful prayer life. I remember R.T. Kendall, like seven or eight years ago, uh, somebody set up a lunch meeting with him for me. And um, he asked me a question at the beginning of the lunch, and I could have kind of, I wanted the lunch to end after that question. He said, find me a minister in the UK that's praying two hours a day. And I was like, uh, I couldn't even say, I'm doing that. I'm close to that. I, I wasn't, you know, I was nowhere near, anywhere near that. But it was a real challenge to me. Mm-hmm. But I would now say, I know a number of people that are praying a couple of hours a day. Mm-hmm. And in that prayer life, and so our patterns, and I won't talk about mine necessarily, but regular prayer every day, um, fasting as a weekly you know, there's some in our community doing a day a week, some are doing two days, some are doing three days a week. I, because we are the church, we're going to regain what it means to be servants of Christ. So I love the books and the podcast. That's really helpful. I love running with the community. But I know if I don't have a meaningful personal history with God in the place of prayer and in the place of fasting, I can learn everything from everybody else and still be powerless in my implementation of it. The real grace, power, and authority is given to people who have personal history with God. So those are the those are the things that are influencing me, sustaining me to carry on. I can't tell you, Anthony, how many times in the last two years I've woken up at 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. with an anxiety attack and just felt like, what am I doing? And I can't sleep, so I'll just come down and spend the next, whether it's one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, just talking to the Lord, pouring out my heart. There's tears in that. There's a lot of journaling. Then there's a lot of revelation that comes. And I would say most of what we have learned has come in those night hours of prayer mm. over the last two years. We schedule it in as well. So normally for astronauts, 4 a.m. till 6 a.m. we pray. But many times I was up before them because I'm just like, man, this is so painful. I need to take it somewhere. Mm. And I've been through pain in the past where I took it to the wrong place. I took it to an action film. Um, I, I let's say to the family, let's just go out and get our mind off this. Let's spend some money or go out for a meal. And in this time, when you learn to take your pain to the Lord, he gives you grace, authority, and power in place of your pain when you give him your pain. So I found that prayer life as maybe the most helpful thing in the last few years. Awesome. Yeah, so... Sort of cycling back on that. Uh, thanks for the ideas on the resources. You mentioned Harry Brown. If people check out my blog, anthonydelaney.com, I think the last but one, uh, maybe of the blogs, uh, I referenced a conversation recently I had with Josh Howard where he talked about from a conversation with Harry Brown, I think it was eight signs of movements and ways to be able to check. Um, these are the things that are always going to be in movements. And, uh, and one of the factors, uh, which you just mentioned, and I think it was the first one, is prayer and fasting. That's one of the, you know, that's the, the, a key one that he mentions of uh, you don't get that, that happening without having prayer and fasting. Uh, I'm, I'm nailed on the fasting side of it. I'm still, that's something I'm still kind of grappling with. We do a thing here at Ivy as a kind of, and I do try with mostly with this one, um, we have a fast till five Friday as a kind of um, something that we encourage people to do just to get us started on it. 
Um, but I do recognize that, you know, that, that that's something that, you know, I suppose when we go through those things, we can always think, well, maybe I'm doing all right on that one. What's the next one? It's a constant yeah, growing. In terms of network, um, I think that what you described there with your group and the movement is networks. And, you know, some people, I, I, I really feel as somebody who's in my background was denominational for many years, you know, some people are in an anti-network. They're in a place where you go along to a, a, what's supposed to be a fraternal or whatever you want to call it, and there's no fraternity. There's, you know, there's just no, there's just competition or suspicion or cynicism and all those kind of things. And maybe you you can't even get out of that. But I would say if that's you, you need to make sure above all else you, you get some people around you who are going to encourage you, pray for you, pray with you, be on the other end of a phone. Uh, that you, you know, one of the things in, that Dave um, Ferguson and Alan Hershey's book in, um, in, in on the verge talk about the need for relational rhythms. So again, this isn't just people you bump into once a year at a conference or see sometimes, mm-hmm. but as uh, as Steve's described here, these are people that you 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 make a commitment as best as you possibly can to be there at that time when you said you would, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's inconvenient to spend that time with those people because it's is helpful for them and vital for you and so again yeah so find those people yeah sorry sorry to interrupt i was going to say i I haven't mentioned this to you but we esther and i have just uh finished a book and it's with editors at the moment called revival ready and the strap line is rethinking kingdom church and discipleship Mm. and it pretty much chronicles the last two years and the key lessons we've learned so that will be out by kind of late September uh, this coming year. So um, hopefully that's helpful for people who are on this journey as well. Yeah, that's so good. Well, I think we're kind of getting near to wrapping up with that. Um, and that will definitely become, for those who are listening, a featured resource for us at launch. Looking forward so much to hearing uh, from you, Steve, when you come and join us uh, in, in launch in October. It's just two days uh, this year we're usually a three-day conference we're cramming an awful lot of fantastic stuff into two days and uh, you know there's deals still available for you and your team to be able to come along the more the cheaper really that you might bring along we're getting people signing up um, but there's still plenty of room for more people to come and it's always amazing to me how leaders tend to leave these things to the last minute and you might be listening to this thinking oh yeah I'm definitely coming to launch and then for some reason, you're going to take out of our own, all of our limit, limited church budgets and leave it to the last minute and end up paying a way more than you should have done to be able to come along to it. So why not take advantage of the early deals while they're still on and the team deals and get the best possible price, especially if you think, yeah, this is something helpful. I think there's some people listening. You need to be in this conversation if you're going to go through the next uh, years and maybe learn from people like myself and Steve, not from our successes so much as from our, our tears and struggles and failures and the messes we've made as well of having to you know, just do our best to follow God. And uh, again, you may not use our models. You might know it's going to be different where you are, but above all else, I love what we've heard about how, just a reminder for each of us, we've got to hear the Lord. You've got to hear the Lord. We're in a season right now, I'm just saying this to you, you've got to hear the Lord. And uh, so, yeah, do uh, spend that time doing that. 
Any last minute thoughts, ideas, something that you, you know, you just thrown in about the book, which sounds fantastic and really exciting for us to get hold of. Can't wait for that and learn from you on that. Um, anything else? If you just had a few more minutes to be able to talk to a leader today, um, what, what are the things that you want to tell them about the future church that God's entrusting to them? Yeah, I, I would say, I think the conversation we're having and the journeys that we're on um, are only the beginning my firm conviction in the next three to five, maybe seven years, I think we're going to see a massive wave of people moving across to what we're now discussing. And by then, we would probably have morphed and changed again. Somehow we've got to build in change as normal, the adaptive, malleable nature of the church that hasn't been there for us in the past. We get very rigid and very stuck very quickly. And so I think people coming on the journey earlier rather than later is helpful, but they are going to see an increase in these conversations, these type of books, this kind of material. It's it's definitely going to be on the increase. So paying attention now might serve them well, rather than just thinking, well, interesting podcast. I mean, this is what I felt with some people I talked to a year ago. It's almost like, hmm, all right for you. I think I'm quite happy doing what I'm doing, even though they can see the writing on the wall with what they're building, that it's not sustainable. Um, And I I would say, you know, be courageous enough to at least embrace the journey, have conversations where you need to. The second thing I would say for those who are saying, I'm already up for this, where do I start? And I would start probably in two places. One, in my own prayer life, which I've mentioned, so I won't touch it again. But second, I would say start in a place of conversation with those in your immediate sphere of influence. That might be your leadership team. It might be a group of elders. Uh, if you're a, a youth pastor or whatever, it might be picking it up with the people that you're with. But I find learning in community and you know dissecting conversations in a prayerful place is really going to be helpful. If I could go back and say, you start this again, I would keep doing that. I would do the prayer piece. And instead of launching something from the front as big change to the church, I would start lots of little conversations all through our church family. And so meet key people who carry weight, invite them around for a meal and cast vision to them one on one. That takes a lot of time. But I think I thought I could just do it as a normal vision casting exercise from the front. But it is so massive. I need to needed to spend time with those who are shapers and influence or what you could call them pillars in the house and and just let them resonate with the conversation before you ever go public with anything so i think maybe those three things might be helpful for people you know they're digesting material already themselves they're listening to stuff um but then in the place of prayer growing maybe talking to four or five people if you're a church leader that's going to take it wider find the influencers and maybe start having some conversations with them around a meal and hearing what they have to say. It's a great place of learning for me. When I did that, I have done it with people because I hear the the, the predominant argument comes out again and again. So the, the way we did some of this is October, September, October, 2020, lockdowns were just lifted in the summer and they actually got reinstated in the November. But in that two month period, we held maybe 30 or 40 small conversations with groups of no more than 12 in the church building where we would cast a bit of vision and then just open up for a conversation. I I feel like that is really helpful to do. And what I realized was here's the main thing that people are butting up against again and again, Mm. because I can presume I know that, but having multiple conversations, I get to hear it again and again. And it was really helpful in realizing where our church family were at. 
Yeah, we had a similar deal. We had some uh, a leadership expert came in and spoke to us, and he talked about how um, you know there's different kinds of people. Some people really their focus when they hear a message is how does this affect people. There's some other people they just want to know the purpose, and there's other people who want to know about the process. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a purpose driven listener. I, if, if you can convince me this is worth doing, then I, I'm fine. Let's start with why. Other people are like, what about the people and how will this affect the people? And they want to hear how does yeah, but how is this going to affect those you know who the hurting? And then there's other people who just want to know there's a good process that you're not just making it up as you go along that you've prayed it through, discussed it, and in various ways you're implementing something you're not just making up off the back of a fag packet. You're basically you know you thought things through. And I we realise that actually when we, much of our communication of changes in the last few years has to be honest with you it's been about it's been about purpose and we've tried our best to help people um, to understand it but we hadn't really been great at communicating the process and even to be able to say to people no we we seriously have looked at this and we've read the books and we've prayed this thing and this isn't just happening because this is something that actually in many ways is a culmination of things the lord has been saying to us for over 10 years even longer than that we felt that god's birth in something so you know we help people then they go all oh, right okay so then the, many of the process people i think didn't necessarily have to leave or wouldn't have to leave if they knew that at least yes there is a a, a thought through prayed through process that we are seriously you know we've, we've taken the right advice we've looked at other things around the world and we're implementing it on that so i don't know but maybe somebody listening in terms of your communication as well just to add that in what maybe you are a process person that's all you talk about you bore people to death with it when they need to know more about what's the purpose and why are we doing it or or whatever it is but you know again filter it leader in your own setting and your own personality and your own way of doing it but i love what steve said in there you know we we do want to take as many with us as possible but at the same time we realize that to gain as many people as possible for the kingdom in the end we're going to have to trust that some people may go and be part of his body in some other way and and be released into that and that's that's it's all it's all good so steve this has been fantastic really appreciate our time together would you just pray for us as we wrap up and for maybe somebody a leader right now who this is actually agitated and stirred them up more than giving them any comfort today or it's going to give them a sense of so what do i do with that maybe you could really help us uh, to, to, to to receive something from the lord on that yeah well father we thank you that uh, ultimately we're in your kingdom and we're building your church and i thank you that you have a higher vested interest than any one of us to see the fruitfulness and the advance of the church and you said it in Matthew 16 that you would build your church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it I pray for those listening today that firstly that they would rest with confidence that God loves his church more than we do and he will build it and no matter what the enemy throws at it it won't succeed so I pray that there'd be a rest and an assurance in you I pray that secondly, that you would help people to be able to wrestle through and embrace the coming changes that they've already begun. I pray that you'd help us to fight the familiar and the pull of the pragmatic and to be able to have a pioneering spirit as we move into the fresh that God is doing. 
Would you give a real sense of peace and courage for the new? And then lastly, Lord, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest on people who are listening today. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the spirit of wisdom, revelation, understanding, counsel. And as we spend time with you, that wisdom, understanding, counsel, revelation come to us. I pray that we would learn to tap into heavenly insight for what you're calling us to do. All our contexts are different. Our communities are made up different. Our leadership teams have a different makeup. And I pray that we would have uh, the real wisdom from heaven and the pace of the spirit in what you call us to do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thank you, Steve. If you've enjoyed this Future Church podcast, please can you subscribe? That'll help. And also, why don't you share it with others and help them to get to know about uh, the conversations that we're having. Check out the back catalogue. We've had some brilliant guests. It's been fantastic to have Steve with us today. And also, again, you can hear from Steve uh, if you connect with us at Launch Replant is our focus this year. We re- Everybody's replanting right now. Um, and so the dates for that, uh, as I think I've already mentioned, are Monday the 3rd and Tuesday the 4th of October. If you go to launchcatalyst.org, you'll get the best deals. And the best deals come for those who bring teams. So uh, don't just think about yourself. Think how many could we bring with us? It's going to be fantastic. Just uh, launch. Just got a new, a new announcement of another speaker, Kerry Ladosia from uh, the States, who's awesome. And we're going to be getting her on Future Church very soon. So, yeah, looking forward to um, connecting again with you next time. But this has been the Future Church Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Future Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, listen back with your team and share it. Further thoughts and resources can be found at anthonydelaney.com.